Welcome to the podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Arlington Heights. Our sermon series is called Parallax, where we're going to be looking at topics from the Bible from two different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today is from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 27 to 31. If any one of the ordinary people among you sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and incurs guilt, when the sin that you have committed is made known to you, you shall bring a female goat without blemish as your offering for the sin you have committed. You shall lay your hand on the head of the sin offering and the sin offering shall be slaughtered at the place of the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and he shall pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat is removed from the, burnt, from the offering of well-being, and the priest shall turn it into smoke on the altar for a pleasing odor to the Lord. Thus, the priest shall make atonement on your behalf, and you shall be forgiven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Mark 8, 34 to 37. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are halfway through our sermon series this fall. Are you guys excited about that? <laughs> Judy and I are very excited about that. <laughs> Uh, I just learned this morning, I have three more, and Judy has two, and I think that's unfair. <laughs> Add another one. Judy's got to do one more. Uh, our sermon series this fall is Parallax, and if you have not been here or if you have forgotten, uh, a parallax is when an object is viewed from two different perspectives and thus changes the position of that object. It's used mostly in astronomy. So imagine seeing the moon from Chicago and from L.A. at the same time its position in the sky would be different. Now we're taking this idea and we're applying it to the Bible. It is very uh, common that two people read on one subject in the Bible and come away with two vastly different ideas about what the Bible says on it. So what we're doing is we're taking two pastors each week uh, talking about one subject and we're gonna come at it from two different perspectives. This week we're talking about sacrifice. Uh, but more poignantly, what is it that God requires his followers to sacrifice? So I'm going to start by talking about Leviticus, and then uh, Alex over here is going to talk about Mark. So in Leviticus, it says that if you sin, and someone finds out about that sin and brings it to you, what you have to do is sacrifice a female goat without blemish. So my first thought is just make sure no one finds out, right? Because it says, if someone finds out, you have to do that. Just make sure no one finds out. <laughs> so I didn't, <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't know Alex was going to put a goat up there. <laughs> because after Judy's wonderful explanation from Leviticus, the first service was like, oh, and I already lost the debate. It was over. I just figured they want to know what a goat looks like. I'm pretty sure they, they know sure. what a goat looks like. I don't know. Like. I mean. <sighs> so, uh, the scripture says to take a goat, a female goat that is unblemished. And that always confused me a little bit. I didn't quite know what unblemished meant. Luckily for us, Levit Leviticus is nothing if not thorough. So, 18 chapters later... Uh, it talks about what unblemished means. Essentially, the goat can't be blind or have any defects uh, or have an itch or scabs or disease or have a limb that's too long or a limb that's too short. Essentially, it can't be a goat that you look at and you go, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do with that goat. <laughs> Let's just give it to God. How about that? Can't, can't do that. And J Jewish scholars... Uh, say, I want to read this part for you because I got it from a book and I want to get it right. <laughs> According to Jewish scholars, this is because the completely healthy state of an offering symbolizes that when a Jew seeks to come closer to God, he should do so with all of his faculties, with nothing omitted, with nothing missing. So they're told to bring a female goat and sacrifice it. But that word sacrifice is actually korbanos, and what that word is mostly translated as in the Bible is offering, not sacrifice, but offering. And that's because it gets at the root of it better. The root of korbanos is korban, and korban actually means to come near. The belief is that by atoning for your sins, by giving up your best, you are actually getting closer to God. You are elevating your spiritual life. What we have to remember here is that livestock wasn't just pets that, that they kept in the Old Testament. Livestock was actually their livelihood. Whenever we're told how wealthy or how poor someone is in the Old Testament, we're told so in terms of animals. They had this many oxen and this many sheep, as well as land and slaves, but mostly it's these animals. We're, we're, told this about Abraham, about Jacob, about David. And so when they talk about sacrificing this livestock, they're not just sacrificing some pet. They're sacrificing their means to trade, their means to eat, their means to live. And I think that this translates to us, even though our livelihoods are no longer livestock. Uh, a, wiser man than, a wiser man than me once said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that's the point here. And in case you're confused, Jesus said that. That was a quote from Jesus. <laughs> I think that we need to give our best to God. We need to give of our livelihoods. We need to offer that to God. By doing so, we show where our heart is and we grow closer to God. All right, so TC is absolutely correct that I like uh, in the Old that. Testament. Oh, yeah, I know. I like you hearing I know that you sentence. Like hearing you that, could, yeah. should say it again. That felt good. Yeah, he's absolutely correct, <sighs> at least on one point of this, that, uh, that in the Old Testament, you would have to sacrifice in order to atone for your sins. When you did something wrong, you would atone, or to draw you closer to God. 
But Jesus takes this idea of sacrifice to a whole new level in the New Testament. So what we read this morning is he talks about how you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. So I want to talk about those two ideas. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to take up your cross? So denial of self, this is something that we often talk about in our culture. What does it mean to deny yourself in our culture? Well, let's say you want to lose weight, right? You want to lose weight, you're going to deny yourself that third bowl of ice cream after dinner, right? That's how you're going to lose weight, right? If you want to save up money for vacation, then you're going to keep driving that old clunker around that you've been driving for years and deny yourself the expense of a new car so that you have that money so you can go on vacation. If you want to get a better job, then you are going to go back to school and you're going to deny yourself the time that you might want to spend doing some other things so that you can study and get good grades. The idea is you give up something now for something better in the future. This is often referred to as delayed gratification. But if we're talking about Jesus' teachings and simply equating them to delayed gratification, it's not quite as simple as that. Because for Jesus, when he's looking at this concept of denial of self, it's more than giving up food or money or time and then getting something better in the long run. For Jesus, denial of self is about going through a total transformation. It's about letting go of this person who you are right now, this person sitting in the pew, and becoming somebody totally and completely different, a better version of yourself. Now, how you achieve this is through a great deal of sacrifice in your life, an immense sacrifice. And this is where we get into the idea of carrying your cross. So when we talk about carrying your cross, what are we talking about? We're talking about crucifixion, right? Now, if you were convicted of a capital crime in the ancient world, and that capital crime required crucifixion, then after the conviction, you would literally be forced to carry your cross on your back to the place where you were going to be hoisted up in the air. And there's two reasons why they did this. One reason is that the soldiers didn't want to have to carry that themselves, so they put that one on you. And secondly, they also wanted to make sure that they drew further shame towards you because anybody seeing you carrying that cross, they wanted to make sure you understood what they did so you weren't going to follow in their footsteps. Now, in one sense, carrying a cross is very literal, right? Because, I mean, that's what Jesus did. He had to carry a cross. And some Christians have literally followed in his footsteps throughout history, and they were crucified as well. However, if every single person in here had to be crucified because you called yourself a Christian, then very quickly there would be no Christians left. Agreed? Yeah. All right. So Jesus, he takes this idea and he transforms it into a metaphor. Rather than walking through it literally, what he tells us to do is that we have to undergo a death and resurrection within our hearts. So what does that mean, to undergo a death and resurrection in your hearts? Well, basically, what it means is you need to kill off those parts of yourself that do not conform to Jesus's way of life. So those parts of yourself that are selfish and greedy and hurtful. You get rid of those things, you kill those off, and then you allow something new and better to rise in its place. That's death and resurrection. And then that allows you to become the person who God intended you to be. So in this way, what you have to appreciate is that for Jesus, sacrifice is more than giving up the tangibles in your life so that it affects your livelihood. For Jesus, what you're sacrificing 
is literally within your heart. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, you have to dedicate your whole life to his cause. In essence, you have to become the sacrifice. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Are you with me? Are you zoning out? Are you asleep? All right, because this is kind of important. Otherwise, if you don't get this, everything else I say makes zero sense. Okay, so it's very important that you understand you become the sacrifice. So it is not enough to stand up and to say, well, I'm a Christian because I believe in XYZ doctrine. When we brought new members in just now, what did we ask them? We said, do you believe in certain things? But then we also said, are you going to do certain things? And the reason why we ask them if they're going to do things is because you have to live it out. You can't just set it aside. And so this idea that you have to do this, you have to change and reassess the person who you are now. You have to reassess how you live. You have to think about, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, i got to change the words that come out of my mouth. i got to change the way that I interact with people. i got to change the way that I spend my money. i got to change the thoughts that are in my mind so that every aspect of my life gets molded and conformed to Jesus' teachings. So if a wise man, such as Jesus, once says that your treasure points to your heart, then I think it's important for us to understand that what Jesus is asking of us is to sacrifice ourselves to get rid of the person who we are now so that our hearts point to Jesus. All right, using uh, my own words against me. That's cool. Were you in debate club growing up? Or? No, I was not. No, it seems like you were. It's all right. <laughs> I agree with most everything that Alex says, but with one caveat, and to point towards that caveat, I'm going to talk about a little-known um, debate or argument that uh, was had in New Testament times. You see, James, the brother of Jesus, the believed author of the book of James, the leader of Jesus' movement after Jesus' death and resurrection, he didn't really like how Paul was framing Jesus' message. You see, Paul was going around and saying, essentially, you don't, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to follow the law. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. All you have to do is accept Jesus into your heart and you are all set. And that didn't sit really well with James. Most scholars believe that the entire book of James, but if, if not the entire book, at least big sections of James, are pointed directly at the new movement of Pauline churches and leaders and, of course, Paul himself. So when we read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, it's James's response to Paul's faith-only argument. Now, I'm not going to read all of it here, but I'm going to read a little bit right now. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now some of you might be thinking, TC, did you start writing for the wrong sermon? This is not about yes, works did. versus faith. <laughs> that's, that's next week and that's Judy's, so stop it. But I think the idea transfers. If we are changing the thoughts in our head but not changing the ways in which we interact with the world, what good are we doing? 
It is through sacrificing the things that actually mean something to us that we create change. And as an example, I want to talk about a movement that happened when I was in middle school. When I was in middle school, there was this huge movement called Save the Whales. I don't know how many of you remember that. It was 20 years ago or so. Save the Whales. Now, I was not a big, uh, I didn't care about the movement. It was middle school. I was going to say I wasn't a big proponent. That wasn't harsh enough. I didn't really care. It was middle school, and I had just discovered girls, and that was far more important to me. So I was not a big proponent of this. But for this, we're going to imagine that I was. I need all of you to use your imaginations with me uh, and to imagine that I was a big proponent of Save the Whales. If I had posters all over my walls and I had a trapper keeper of whales and it said Save the Whales on it and I talked to all my other fellow middle schoolers about saving the whales, but I didn't actually spend any money on it. I didn't actually take time to go to try and save any whales. What good have I done? Precisely zero whales would have been saved because of my posters and my trapper keeper and me telling other middle schoolers that they too needed to save whales like me. You see, unless we externally sacrifice, then nothing happens in this world. It isn't enough for me to change internally who I am. I have to outwardly sacrifice for things to get better or to change at all. So I remember Save the Whales, and I actually cared about that movement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember when I was a kid, we were raising $15. That was our class goal, was to raise $15 for Save the Whales. And I was so excited about this. I brought in $15 myself from my savings and I gave it over to them, right? And what's interesting is the teachers, they took the money, they were like, well, this is really nice that you did this, um, but we're trying to do it as a class, so here's your money back. <laughs> and they, they gave it to me. So I didn't end up saving the whales, or maybe I give a dollar or something to it, but at the end of the day, I understand what you're talking about, which is this question of do actions lead to thoughts, or do, do, do we need to change our actions, right, in order to change our thoughts, or do we have to change our thoughts in order to change our actions? That's essentially kind of what we're drilling down into right here. And ultimately, if we're going to answer this question, we've got to go back to Jesus. Now, I want to look at a little thing that he talks about in his Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to be talking about the sermon for next week, because that's the sermon for next week. We're going to deal with the sermon for today. And the sermon for today, I want to look at this quote from his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Now, why does Jesus say this? He says this because murder doesn't just happen by itself. Unless you're a serial killer, you're not going to wake up one day and think to yourself, you know what, I think I'm going to go out and kill somebody today. No, that doesn't happen, right? Murder is the result of anger. It's the result of angry thoughts in your mind. So unless somebody attacks you, comes after you, and you have to kill that person in self-defense, the likelihood of you killing somebody is going to be the result of you thinking about it for a long period of time. Now, because of that, Jesus is essentially saying in this verse that anger is the equivalent of murder. 
which I know sounds kind of crazy, right? Like the idea that if you get angry, that's the equivalent of murder. But here's why he says it. He says it because murder is simply the actualization of those angry thoughts in the world. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like it's you taking those angry thoughts that are in your head and in your heart and you're bringing them into the world. So what he's saying is, is that thoughts lead to actions. So if you change your thoughts, you change your actions. And where this gets into sacrifice, this concept of sacrificing, is that if you are willing to sacrifice those angry thoughts, those thoughts of rage and violence towards people who have hurt you, then your actions are going to follow that sacrifice. So the, the, the thing that you see after that scripture is that Jesus tells us that you take your anger and you literally place it on the altar. You sacrifice it. And if you're willing to follow Jesus' teachings, then you're going to have a much more peaceful heart. Does this make sense? Are you with me so far on the thoughts leading to actions? Okay, so this leads me to a second point, and that it pains me to say this, but the TC actually has said something, again, correct in this sermon. It's hard for me to admit it. I know, I know. Two for two. Two for two today. My goodness. So he is correct to say that actions can lead to thoughts. He didn't come up with this idea. I just want to make sure he's not the, you understand, he's not the original idea. There's... Other people who have talked about it, and perhaps one of the best quotes around this, which I love, is actually on the front of your bulletin. It's from Richard Rohr. And he says, we don't think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. The idea being that actions lead to thoughts. And there's truth behind this. And I'll tell you where I've seen this the most in my life. So prior to taking this job as the head of staff here, I was working as a youth pastor. I worked at, in what TC was doing for about 10 years. And what I noticed in the youth groups that I would run is that we would talk ad nauseum about how God wanted us to live our lives. What were God's expectations of our behaviors? And what I found to be so interesting about these youth groups is that you could have a kid who you'd ask the question, and the kid would have all the right answers for exactly what we were supposed to do. And then they would leave youth group and do the exact opposite of what they said in the youth group when they were out among their friends. Now, what's interesting is that a turning point for many of our youth was when they would go on mission trips. And I don't know if you found this to be true in your life, TC, but when we would go on these mission trips, you'd see a shift. And so what I want to show you, actually, before I jump into this, I'm going to show you a little video from one of the mission trips that I went on. This is the last mission trip I went on in 2013 to Haiti. And what you're going to see is this, uh, there's a young girl. She's uh, about to be a senior in high school. Her name's Rebecca Anderson. And she was a ballet dancer when she was in high school. And she also spoke some French. And so some of the girls in the village, she spoke to them and she talked to them about teaching them how to dance. None of them had ever been exposed to ballet before. And so this is a little scene from the video that I took while we were there of her teaching them how to do ballet. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment, but I wanted you to get that in your mind because what would happen on these trips 
is that the youth, they would have to kind of set aside everything that they were used to doing. They weren't allowed to take their cell phones or any of that other stuff. So they go on these trips, and they had to act a particular way. They had to kind of act out the beliefs we've been talking about. And many of the youth would come to me during the trips, usually about three or four days in, and they would say, you know, Alex, we talk about this stuff all the time in youth group, and it never felt real to me until we came here. And that's because once they had to sacrifice the tangibles in their life, it changed their hearts and minds. And that young woman who you saw up there, so she was going into her senior year. Today, she is in her second year at Princeton Theological Seminary. She is working to become a pastor. She will be an amazing pastor. But the reason why she's doing that is because of those trips. It's because she went on those trips and she had to live it out. So even though TC and I don't agree on very much at all in our lives, <laughs> I think one thing that we do agree on is the fact that if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it requires sacrifice. And if we're being honest, even though we've been debating the merits of internal versus external sacrifice, the fact is, is that Jesus asked us to sacrifice both. We have to sacrifice in both areas of our lives. So you have to sacrifice internally by getting rid of those parts of yourself that do not conform to Jesus' teachings of love and compassion. And you need to sacrifice externally by giving up the tangibles in your life, your money, your possessions, your time. How you go about doing that, that is very much up to you. You can change your actions, you can change your thoughts, but the important thing is that you are willing to change. Because here's the thing, if we are not willing to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and we're not willing to sacrifice for our faith, then those words that we speak every Sunday, what are those words that we speak, right? Do you remember? What is it? Choose love, be the light, change, change the, world. the world. We say that every week in here, right? If you are not willing to sacrifice, together if we're not willing to sacrifice, those words will never come to fruition. Those will just be words that we speak every single week. And it's wonderful to speak words, but as TC said, you do have to do something about it. And so, I hope that you all are willing to sacrifice in your lives. I hope that you're willing to see the example of what Jesus did for us and to live it out. Because it is our responsibility to create the world that Jesus envisioned. He gave us a whole, whole blueprint of what we are supposed to do to create God's kingdom here on earth. And that requires us being his hands and feet in the world. So my prayer for you today is that you would be willing to sacrifice the tangibles in your life so that we can continue doing what we're doing here in the world and internally so that you can shift and change. Because if we're willing to do this together, then I truly believe that we can create the world that Jesus envisioned here and now. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.